You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! The Daily Music Business Podcast. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Daily Music Business Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Barton from Pinup Artist Management. And today we are going to finish this series on breaking down a standard recording contract with entertainment lawyer John Scheel. If you haven't yet listened to parts one through three of this series, please go back and do so. Last week, we got into how you get paid as an artist, what percentage splits look like on a standard deal. And this week, we are going to continue with that. Uh, There are things called deductions, which is basically um, your gross receipts minus your net expenses. We're going to get into that today and wrap this thing up and start something fresh next week. So I think that we should go a little bit into the deduction section here and and that way we can, you know, give another example of the difference between net and gross. Again, this says that uh, net profit means gross receipts, less deductions. So let's go into what the deductions are here. So the deductions in this contract says deductions shall mean costs and expenses paid or incurred by company in connection with the master or other materials created, produced, and or exploited here under, and or in the exercise of companies' rights under the agreement, including, but not limited to, recording costs, manufacturing costs, transmission fees, third-party royalty obligations, including to the producer, mixer, and or guest artist royalties, music publishing royalties, samples royalties, fees, advances, etc., encoding costs, digitization costs, licensing costs, including licensing agent commissions, any fees payable to distributors of the company, marketing cost. I mean, I could go on and read this forever, but the, the, the truth is there's a lot to this uh, that you need to pay attention to. And the longer the list is, the less you're going to profit. So keep that in mind. They are <clears throat> deducting that and building in a lot of leeway for them. Now, some of this stuff is unavoidable. You may, you may think, well, why do I need a licensing agent? Well, look, if you want your song to be in the next McDonald's ad, then you are likely working through a library or, or a licensing agent who's going to then pitch it to a music supervisor who's then going to pitch it to McDonald's. And if the right licensing agent has the right pathway, then it's worth that 15% or 20% or whatever their, their commission is because at the end of the day, that, that ad to McDonald's could be $100,000. And that's, that's a significant chunk of change. That's a heck of a lot of spins on Spotify. So that, you know, you may see some of these costs and you may be scared of them, but at the end of the day, understanding what they are, you're, you'll have a better idea of what is valid and what isn't valid. And some of this stuff you're just not going to know unless you've done it a bunch of times before or you're dealing with an entertainment lawyer who has. 
The other thing to pay attention to, there was a line in there earlier about including but not limited to. Lawyers love that stuff because then their list isn't exhaustive. They can write as many things as they can think of at the time, but it's not limited to that in case something else comes up. So pay attention to those kind of stuff too. Now, this next one I think is uh, important because it's talking about the recording budget and the marketing advance. And if you've worked with producers before, you understand what it is that it costs to produce a track. But if you've never done that, then this kind of thing might be like pulling numbers out of thin air for you. It's really important to understand what the record company is going to do for you. You know, a track from Beyonce is going to cost $100,000 to produce, you know, with all the 15 writers and producers and all the folks that are involved in that. Uh, so when you see numbers like this, this one has got a second album that's uh, got a range of 8000 to 16000 and that's all in for for production costs. And now it's it's important to note in this that there's uh, there's not a first album here because in this particular agreement the band had already done the first record. Uh, it does mention that uh, that there's a non-recoupable marketing budget of five thousand uh, dollars, and that is for the first record in this during the initial period. Since that was done, there is no budget for the first one um, as far as the recording costs go. So that's why there is one for the second and third. Obviously, those records have not been done yet. I guess the question would be, well, how do I know if I only get 8,000? How do I know if I get 16,000? According to this, it says, if company exercises its options, company shall make available a recording budget based on a formula equal to 80% of the royalties uh, earnings credited to the account. Yeah, it's it's... So it's a very simply, it's a formula that's based on what your past performance was. So if you, if, if you, um, they're only going to spend, you know, 80% of the royalty earnings that you got from your first record, basically, I mean, to, to sort of sum it up, they're putting a limit on it. And that limit is going to fall between these ranges. There's a, there's sort of a, a guideline limit and there's an outer limit, right? Uh, I don't know if that, that makes it, more clear, but you've got a minimum and a maximum. And what determines that is the other guideline limit, right? Based on past performance. Now, I I do want to point this out because I think that some people um, may find this to be really valuable information. And of course we are recording this and and we're going to be talking about stuff that, that could change. Um, But right now, if you were to drive to Nashville on today's Day, May 1st, 2020, um, you're, you're really going to be looking at spending to do an album at a minimum, you know, four to $5,000. And that's just the production costs. That's not everything else that needs to be spent to, to promote and produce the record. So when you see a number like 8,000 to 16,000, you know, understand that not all of that is going towards the producer and the studio time and that, and, and hired musicians and writers, they've still got to have a budget there for all the rest of the stuff that's marketing your, your music. So this recording budgets and marketing advance is all together for a reason. And, and you, you need to keep that in mind. 
Now, now if we're talking about uh, this being a contract for a brand new band who has never been on a label before. Uh, this is the first deal that they have signed. Um, you know, obviously it's going to change if it's a, if it's a rapper or a pop artist or whatever, but let's just talk about an indie band, um, you know, that's in the rock scene or the metal scene or whatever. Would you say that this is a, a pretty decent, you know, budget for a band that, you know, has never dropped anything? Yeah, it's, it's great. If you're, if your label has this much right now in today's day and age to spend on you, um, then that's a good thing. I, I would think. So let's look at a bad deal now. Let's pretend this is the same band. It's the same, you know, one plus two option deal. Um, and let's say that it's 50-50 anyway. Now look at the difference on this contract. It says, in connection with the first album, the company shall pay an advance of $1,500 to the producers, et cetera, that are going to pay 50% up front, so 750 bucks, and pay the other half uh, when they get the, the album. LP2 is going to be three grand minimum and 7,500 max LP three, 5,000 minimum and 10,000 max. Now, if we're talking about just the cost of recording and you're doing a 10 song record that leaves you only 300 to $750 per song to, you know, write the song, do the pre-production, do the mix, do the master, um, to make a record for, for even $7,500 here that is quality enough to recoup that back. I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but if I was helping one of my bands out looking at this deal, I would say, look, for, you know, 750 bucks a song here, like you guys should be able to come up with that on your own. I don't think it's worth giving 50% or, you know, in this deal, actually, it's uh, look, it's an 80-20 split. So I don't think giving up 80% of the rights to my music is really worth it when, you know, you're only getting $1,500 for that first record. Yeah, that that is really tough. I mean, let's just put this in perspective. Like, it, in um, in the sync licensing world, if if you're a top line uh, songwriter and, and you're you're a singer or songwriter uh, and you're you're going to a producer to produce a track, you've written a song and you you want to uh, pay the producer to help flesh it out, produce it, and get it out there so you can you can license the song. You're you're really looking at a minimum of like $2,000 to, to produce a, a song. So, you know, in, in the band world, it, it's a little different and budgets are, are obviously a little different. Original art and original music is, is going to be a little different scale. But, you know, if you were to go to LA and say, look, all I have is $7,500 to make a record, the pool of qualified producers who are going to put out really top quality product is just has just shrunk like and you've just shut the door on a lot of them i mean and and if you were in the pop world this would be laughed at because this is just not even like you'd never get a you know max martin or anybody anybody any big name you'd never get them to work on a project like this ever yeah so we'll jump back over to the you know what i'm calling a good example of a recording agreement for a new band uh you know we've shown the listener what um a better deal looks like and what kind of a crappy deal looks like as far as the recording budgets go and the splits. Uh, you know, on the one hand we had, you know, a 50, 50 split, um, you know, where the, the label's coming to the table with at least, you know, 7,500 for the first record, 
you know, a minimum of 8,000 for the second and 12,500 for a third versus an 80-20 split in the label's favor where they're giving the artist $1,500 and, uh, you know, three grand as their budgets for their, for their albums. That's obviously a very different world and a very different, you know, look at your bottom line in those two scenarios. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, it's this one is, is taking a lot more care and, and put a lot into it. Also, you know, I think when you saw the other agreement, it, it didn't have sections like this next section, it didn't have a discussion as to what would happen with mechanical and synchronization licenses. Now, you may not as a casual listener may not understand what a sync license is or a mechanical license, but, um, you know, second to touring sync licensing is, is probably the biggest, uh, source of revenue for a performing artist. Um, in some cases it is the number one source of revenue. And there have been plenty of examples of folks who were touring artists, but left the touring world to do the sync world, uh, and just became, artists that create music for synchronization. And um, it's really important to understand that um, someone who's putting out a video cannot put your song to it without signing a sync licensing deal. And so those deals are typically covered by your, your record label. And if you have a good record label, they're focused a lot on pushing you for sync. And then you're going to see paragraphs like this next one. Now, mechanical license sure. is going to be a little different. So if somebody wants to cover your song, they would pay for a mechanical license. Uh, and that's not not going to be nearly the same kind of money, but it's important sure. to note that it's in. All right, so let's talk about Section 10, the next, the next section here uh, after the sync licensing. Uh, it says merchandise designs. Now, it says during each contract period here under, you shall design and deliver to company the exclusive uh, use here under two professional quality designs. Uh, suitable for use throughout any merchandise related field. So basically they're saying, look, you know, you might have a whole table full of merch um, when you go on tour or on your website or whatever, but we get two designs from you. Uh, and if you don't give us those designs, you know, we have the ability of, of hiring somebody to make those designs for us and we get to sell them and we'll give you your split. But other than that, uh, you know, from what I see here, they don't have any rights to any other merchandise besides those two designs. That's right. And, you know, you've, if you're a listener who's really intent on learning the music business, uh, you probably have heard of the 360 degree deal. And that is always going to include merchandise. So there's always going to be clauses about merchandise, who makes what, who makes what off of what. This one is particularly detailed in that they want to create two designs that they keep forever, and there may be others on the merch table that you, as an artist, have created and can sell. But keep in mind that when you're on the road, you know, sometimes the merch, depending on the level of band you are, or the level of how, you know, the capacity of places that you're selling out and, and that kind of stuff, um, you know, the merch can really fuel the van getting you from place to place. So in some some instances, merch is the lifeblood of what you're doing. In fact, I know plenty of bands that sign with indie labels that, you know, specifically carve out any merch so that they don't have to share any merch revenue with the label. And the label is only dealing with the recordings uh, so that the merch can really be that, that vehicle to get the band from place to place. And, you know, they, they may not make a whole lot per show, but, but it's, 
it's the uh, ticket sales or the, the amount they're getting from the venue plus merch that makes it worthwhile. Right. And that's so much more important uh, on a contract where you're recouping out of your, your own end because, you know, in a lot of those deals, I see bands all the time that never make you know, all of their recoupable balance back. And if they don't have the ability to capitalize on their merch, then they have no revenue stream at all. So as we get through that, that section, we have restrictions. And now this is important to note uh, for a few different reasons. It just talks about, you know, what band members are allowed to make music aside from this agreement, you know, whether you're talking about uh, featuring on another artist's record um, or that kind of thing. Uh, I'll let you kind of read it and explain exactly what it means. So under restrictions, it says during the term, neither you nor artists shall permit or authorize any person, firm or entity other than the company, aka a third party, to release any master recording, album or EP that is or consists primarily of previously unreleased master recordings on which the artist is the primary featured artist, unless otherwise expressed, expressly authorized in writing by the company. Um, the, the key fact here is that they want to manage the brand of your band and make sure that you and the band members that you're you know performing with are not uh diluting their their product stream so it's it's just so that basically when you're signing with them you're you're on their label and you're focused on the products they're putting out when they're putting them out so that they're not competing against themselves or you another version of you um sure yeah yeah, and then the next section here, you warrant and represent that artists shall not record for any third party, so any other company, uh, for example, any musical compositions embodied in any master until the later of, of five years from the date the master embodying such compositions was recorded by artists or two years after the expiration of the term. So what does that mean? So essentially that is a restriction on your ability to record um with any other band uh any third party or any musical composition that you've done here uh you can't just go out and re-record it to kind of create a new master they're they're restricting your ability to then again compete against them uh, so they're putting in five years from the date of the master of anything that is on this record or any of the options option records that are in this contract um, or two years after the expiration of the term of this agreement. And that would be the end term. So if they exercise their two options, then that would be the full, you know, three to five years or whatever they're sure. And so the next section here talks about what happens when a member leaves. Let's say we have a band that, you know, your bassist was flaky and uh, he gets kicked out or he just decides that he, you know, would rather stay at home with his girlfriend uh, and he has changed his mind and he doesn't uh, want to be a part of that anymore. Um, yeah, it, that's, that's always going to be in, in these documents, uh, you know, even even amongst a band member agreement, there's always going to be a provision about the leaving member, and so they they want everybody uh, to sign off, basically saying that uh, you know if, if if somebody leaves, everything else is held together. So that's there's an integrity uh, clause or integration clause, um, and integration clauses can 
can be applied to leaving band members, but they can also be um, applied to um, the terms of the agreement itself. A lot of times an integration clause will refer to if one clause in the contract is stricken by a court, the rest of it will hold together and stay together. Well, John, I think that pretty much sums up this whole contract. I think all we have left is uh, definitions. You know, the one thing that I will say about definitions is that it's important to go in there and read them. It may seem like it's just boilerplate. It may seem like you're just adding it on. It may seem like words you already know the meanings of, but sometimes uh, they can slip um, slightly modified meanings in there that can really play out uh, in, in different ways. So just always be sure you read every term and understand what they're meaning when, they, when they're talking about them. The other thing to point out about uh, the boilerplate, quote unquote, sections of a contract uh, or the missile, are the miscellaneous type provisions. Things like the jurisdiction of where a contract is, is set to be enforced. You know, if you're a major label and you're in New York or LA, you don't want to have to go to Cincinnati, Ohio to uh, deal with enforcing your contract. So there's going to be a section where the jurisdiction, if anything goes wrong, this is where we fight about it. This court system in this location is where we all agree that's where we're going to go. And so that that's in there. There's in this particular uh, contract, there's all sorts of things that are, that are stuck in the, uh, in the miscellaneous provisions and there's termination clauses and there's notice clauses and, and you're going to, you're going to have to read that section if you want to get out of it. So, you know, the first thing you want to think about is, is the length of the term of the agreement. And the second thing is how do I get out of it if I need to? So reading at the bottom of a contract, you're going to see all that stuff. You're going to see where they're, you know, who they, who you have to send a letter to, how you have to send the letter. Sometimes you can send a notice uh, via email. Sometimes it has to be written and sent via U.S. certified mail. Uh, return receipt requested. I mean, all of this stuff gets spelled out. So it's just really important to pay attention to what may seem like, oh, this is just the part I can skip reading because it looks like every other contract I've signed. Always go in and, and take a look at those definitions, look at the, the jurisdiction, look at the notice requirements, all that stuff. And that's just another reason why you should always have an entertainment lawyer to help you out because, you know, the average guy, just like I just did said, Hey, look, you know, that pretty much covers the, the contract. Uh, the rest is just definitions. But as you said, there could be a hell of a lot of, uh, you know, definitions in there that don't necessarily match what you've seen before. And that could make all the difference in your career. Yeah. And you know, sometimes people come to me and they say, well, I wrote this contract and I know it's fine. And, and I'll say, well, you know, okay, Mr. Record Label Guy, um, did you put this in there? Did you put that in there? And they won't know what what applies to them. In some states, if you don't put it in the contract, so first of all, let's back up and say that every uh, all of contract law is governed by state law. Contract law is by definition a state a power that's reserved to the states. So the federal law only gets involved when there's big time differences in jurisdiction of, of the parties or the money is over $75,000 uh, $75, or, you know, for, for various reasons, it could, it could get pulled into federal court. But typically we're talking about contract law is, is based in state law. And certain states say that if you don't have in your contract 
that the money you have to spend on the lawyer to enforce the contract is accounted for, then you can't sue somebody and get attorney's fees. And so that's really important. When you are shelling out money and you're like, well, they, they screwed me over. You know, if your attorney's fees aren't paid for by the loser of the, of the case, then it could be that you're just throwing good money after bad. You might have to spend $10,000 and you only get, what, a reward of $7,000 from the company on the, uh, or the, co the person on the other side of the agreement. It becomes a business decision. How much good money are you going to throw after bad if you can't get it paid for by the losing party? And that is all determined by your state law and whether or not state law requires that to be in the contract in advance. So, you know, it's it just stuff like that can really change the whole dynamic of, of the arrangement. It's just Those are all very, very valid points. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate uh, you being on here with me and helping our listeners, uh, you know, kind of understand more about what a typical agreement looks like, the things to look out for. Um, you know, obviously, every single agreement is going to be unique to that scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we covered a lot of the things that are going to be, you know, shown in each agreement. And, uh I think it's uh, it's very valuable to our listeners. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, why don't you tell everybody you know where they can uh, reach out to you or how they can get a hold of you or learn more about you? So everybody can check me out at jasalegal.com or you can find me on Twitter at John underscore Shield. That's S-H-E-I-L. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I've got J-A-S-A Legal on Instagram or John Shield, John A. Shield. Uh, look for me. I'm out there and send me a note. You know, I'd love to reach out. I'd love to connect with any of your listeners. And if people have a, a call or a question, you know, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, a, a quick 10 minute call to me for free could save you tens of thousands of dollars later. So you, you almost have your own Geico ad, right? Like 10 minutes could save you $10,000. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Awesome, John. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you back soon. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. Happy to do it. Thank you. All right, that wraps up my series on breaking down a standard recording contract. Next week, we're going to jump into something new. If you have a topic that you would like to hear, please shoot me an email at jesse at pinupartistmanagement.com. You can hit me up on socials. My handle is jessieaib, and I will see you guys next week. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.